Welcome to the Cup of Nurses Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to Cup of Nurses Podcast. We are hosts Matt Trotrick and Peter Fendera. How are you guys doing today? Cup of Nurses Podcast is a podcast where we tackle health news and current nursing events one conversation at a time. Today's conversation is going to be about the gut microbe, and there's a correlation between fibromyalgia and in different microbes that are affecting the gut. And also today we're gonna to talk about nurse burnout and how to cope with the stress that is involved with um, burning out and seeing death and everything, right? Yeah, majority like seeing death because sometimes as nurses we do see a lot of that in hospital, we get some hard months where the sense is real high and just things are not working out. People are just real sick. You want to start us off with the gut health? Especially with the flu season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the gut health, um, guys, whoever subscribes, listens, thank you guys. You guys are great. We hit 2K um, downloads last month, so we're growing steadily. Yeah, Facebook group's up and running. We're going to post more often than we do now. It just got up and running last week. Yeah, so join. We talk about how to cope, memes, different kind of cool things, so you guys should check it out. So anyways, um, current health news, um, scientists have found a correlation between the disease involving chronic pain and alteration in your gut microbes. And the disease is um, fibromyalgia. So fibromyalgia is often a considered disorder of basically constant um, pain, C- chronic pain, muscle tenderness, um, you're fatigued, you're sleepy, and you have like altered memory and mood. Yeah, that'll be really, lo- really rough. Imagine having that. Yeah. Always in pain, just muscle pain. like. Is it a kind of pain where you're like you're sore? Because that would suck. Imagine just being sore all the time. Yeah, it's like going to the gym. And these people usually kind of look more tender and more slim and things like that. So, yeah, pain is really probably associated with decreased appetite, things like that. But one thing that I found fascinating is fibromyalgia is considered a disorder. And we, when you look up the definition of what a disorder means, it means it's a state of confusion. Disrupt systematic functioning. So my question to you is, why is the body confused? Why is the body confused from its normal homeopathic, homeostasis way of not being able to do a certain function and it's kind of causing you to have muscle tenderness? Where does it go wrong? Is it genes, genes or I'm not sure what the exact cause is, but how does your body go from being normal, you know, muscle growth, no pain, in homeostasis to being in pain in homeostasis? To a straight up, yeah, to a straight up chronic disease. and. We don't have a cure for it. We usually do different things like just muscle relaxers and pain meds. And we're just putting the band-aid on this disease that we haven't figured out. So these um, Montreal-based research team, so they found out that they looked up the bacteria in the GI tract. And what they kind of said is there's approximately 20 different species of gut bacteria that they found that is either a lesser or a greater quality compared to the microbes of people that are, you know, that are normal compared to the people that are in this um, participant group. So they're, they're basically linking gut microbe or gut health to the disease. So maybe the gut bacteria is causing us to have chronic pain. I mean, you could be completely right. We don't know where this disease comes from. Yeah. It can be coming from the gut for all we know. Like there's so much going on in your gut. You do have, um, you know, nerve, um, you have neurons in your gut, I believe, as well. Yeah, it's maybe, 80% maybe of our immune system. Yeah, there's neurons in, in your gut. Your nervous system is part of um, you know, the gut. The gut's part of your nervous system, and it works together. So it could definitely be a gut issue. Yeah. 
And this study did not conclude that gut bacteria is the culprit behind fibromyalgia, but there's more investigation that has to be done. But this is the first study that has showed that there's a there's a possible correlation. And, you know, with anything in research, they need, you know, clinical trials and human trials. Well, probably some trials on the, the mice. Did you did you look that up? There yeah, was, I can talk about it now. But so, so the way they do certain uh, research trials that are not human-based is they have genetically engineered mice, where these mice are exactly identical to each other, and they put them in, in different environments. I'll touch upon it in, in a little bit. But Parkinson's disease is another disease that's coming out that they're starting to think that is also related to, to gut health. Um, Parkinson's disease is, uh, it affects dopamine. It's a neurodegenerative disease, so over time, your body starts to produce less dopamine, and it affects your movement. Um, it causes tremors, bradykinesia, which is slower movement. It causes limb rigidity and just balance issues. Yeah, it's really sad to see. Yeah, like Jamie Foxx, I'm sure you all know who Jamie Foxx is. He's got Parkinson's disease. No way. And he actually started a Parkinson's disease fund because he's trying to figure out, like, how can I cure myself with this? Because nobody wants to have that, have that disease. Damn, nice bike over Chopper. there. Chopper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and people die from this because the main issue, um, as you age over time, you have trouble swallowing. Okay. And... The majority death case for Parkinson's disease is pneumonia, because you know you aspirate and then you die. So Jamie Foxx is on this, you know, he's on this journey to find a cure for Parkinson's disease. Yeah. But how the reason that they are thinking that Parkinson's disease is related to the gut is because they compared gut bacteria from someone with or people with Parkinson's disease and they compared it to just people that don't have Parkinson's disease and they found a different gut bacteria in each person. Wow. So people with Parkinson's disease have, have different gut bacteria than you know. So so in order to find out this correlation, do they take our bacteria from the humans and they inject it to these um, sterile mice? Well, that's a different study. The first study was where they just compared bacteria. Okay. Like my bacteria compared to somebody my age with my similar similar look, similar bring up. He's going to have different gut bacteria than that I do. Mm-hmm. But another way they did this uh, study where they also think it's coming from the gut is they did those mice that are genetically the same. And one was kept in a sterile environment and some other mice were kept in like a normal environment. And this showed a correlation with the environment of Parkinson's because the sterile mice didn't get Parkinson's and mice with the normal environment didn't get Parkinson's. But they took this a step further and they took a sterile environment mice and they broke it in half. And in one half, they injected gut bacteria with Parkinson's disease. Mm-hmm. And then in the other mice, they injected normal gut bacteria, human gut bacteria. And the ones that got the gut bacteria from people from... Parkinson's disease, they develop Parkinson's disease as mice. Wow. Yeah, so they're trying to link that environment and go back to its Parkinson's disease. Something's going on there that's yeah. gut-based. And mice are a pretty good indicator. I mean, they're not that, you know, they're, I wonder why they use mice for trials uh, compared to other, like, little species. Because they're breed like crazy. Okay. You know, and we've learned how to genetically modify them. So we, un- so we basically have an infinite amount of mice that we could create. Yeah. That's why it's so easy. And they kind of manipulate their genes so they're similar to ours for these tests. Yeah. Wow. But I, I definitely, when I, you know, did like research on like mind-gut connection all that, I definitely do believe that there's something going on. Just like um, irritable bowel syndrome, we're starting to realize now, right, that whatever we're consuming or if you have an anxious mind, your, your mind and your gut are constantly talking to each other and you're starting to develop this overreactive digestive system, right? Where you Definitely. have all these symptoms, bloating, and a lot of people don't know that it's 
from anxiety. It's from the mental health aspect of things, you know? Yeah. People with high anxiety and high stress, like you said, they tend to have gut issues, you know, a lot of diarrhea or they can't go to the bathroom properly. Um, and that's just, it's correlated. There's some kind of correlation. Same with when you have an upset stomach, it's also going to affect you mentally too because you're going to be in a fog. Imagine if your stomach hurt all the time. You know, that would, that'll be rough. It's going to be on your mind too and vice versa. Yeah. I, I never realized what anxiety is till I started maybe meditating and I've realized how my mind works sometimes. Like I'm always like on to the next, like maybe in nursing schools like this, but I started realizing that, dude, my mind is just always like in gear, always racing forward. I'm doing this, but I'm like 10 steps ahead, knocking out checklists and it's good. I'm productive being a go-getter, but sometimes, yeah, you just gotta like just hone in and just be in the state of flow, which this is awesome too, because everything is disconnected. And right now I have just the full attention on this. Yeah. And the best way to do that is just to be alone with yourself. Then you finally realize your own thoughts. Yeah. Because when you're out in society, people are putting thoughts in your head, you know, you're giving out your ideas, they're sharing ideas with you. And that kind of changed your perspective and the way you think in your mind compared so, to if you just sit alone quietly or lay down and just think by yourself, that's going to be, com- you're going to have a completely different opinions than when you talk with somebody else. Yeah. So moral of the story, you guys should definitely lock yourself up in a room in some silence and figure yourself out yeah. or just listen to your conversation, your own self dialogue is your, are your thoughts positive? Are they negative? Are you beating yourself up all the time? You know, those are great questions that we don't ask ourselves. We're constantly surrounded and, you know, being with other people. Right. Yeah. All right. So we'll move on to uh, the whole coping with, with death and, and burnout and just how to be happier or how yeah. to, you know, like cope with it. And no one tells you how to do it. There is no ingredient checklist book here or a black and white instruction that will tell you, hey, this is how you cope. It's, you know, part of life. We we die, but no one tells you how to cope with it. What should, you know, how to release those emotions and things like that. Okay. Yeah. We're going to tell you a little story here. So imagine you're on night shift. You're going to tell us a story. Yeah, I'm going to listen. And Matt will listen. You guys can listen too. <laughs> so imagine you work a night shift. Uh, you come in at 7 o'clock p.m. You look over the board. You know, you see what kind of patients you have. You get Larry. Everyone knows Larry. Larry's been there for, for 14 days now. We don't really know what's going on with him. You know, he's been stable at times. and He's been kind of iffy at, iffy at times. But they just took out his swan. Last PA pressure was 29 over 12. SVR was 1,600. They did EF this morning, an echo. Yeah, I've showed 20%. The plan for him in the next couple weeks is heart transplant. They're going to try and send him home and then bring him back. And eventually, hopefully, within that time frame, he'll get his heart. You check your drips. You print your balloon pumps uh, strip. You look it over. Everything looks good. You bullshit it a little bit around with Larry. Have a good conversation. You know, he's in good spirits. You're in good spirits. You just came on shift. You know, you leave the room. Uh, you go sit down. Check the notes. See what the car yards just said. See what the attending said. See what the kind of, kind of plan is. 2100, you go back in, print your strip again. Larry tell, tells you, hey, cardiologist came in during the day, and guess what? They're thinking about turning down some inotropes, decreasing the doses, and maybe even winning the balloon pump. Okay. Which is pretty clutch. You know, yeah. you want to win a person with a balloon pump, you can't go home on a balloon pump, and we don't want to keep on a balloon pump forever, you know. So you hit the two to one button, you, you print your strip, and you go back. You go back, sit down. 2122, it's been like 20 minutes later, you hear a high, pri- high priority alarm go off. And you get that sinking feeling, I hope that's not my patient. I have it right now, guys. Yeah. And everybody gets that because it's a high priority alarm and it's the first time it's went off. You know, the nurse calls you and the chargers calls you in. 
you walk in and there's Matt pumping your patient's chest. The cold starts. Your feet feel so heavy. It feels like you have literally cement on your legs. A little cold feeling that comes at you. You look at the time, 21, 23. You start recording, grab your pen. Physician comes in, you get a few pushes in, five carb goes in, you got a handful of pulse checks. Look at the time again, physician says, time of death, 21.44. You look at the time, you look at the physician, you nod. Damn. Someone just went away just like that. Yeah, and it and it does happen that quick, and it's crazy. I actually have kind of chills, yeah. if you guys could look at the cam here. Whoever watches on YouTube, it's, it's messed up, man. It's... And no one tells you how to properly cope. It, no one tells you this is the way to do it. And I feel like, you know, sometimes as a nurse, especially being in our, you know, early 20s, late 20s, like, this is so new to you, man. You just went, you were kind of nurtured as like, a, you know, in life by your parents or whatever. And school's all lovely, you know, great. And it sucks. And then you come to work, you get your passion and collects and you you're just dealing with freaking crazy shit. You're literally seeing people die, families cry, and man, it's it's like a bubble of negativity sometimes. There's, you know, good days and it's very rewarding, but usually, you know, you have those days that it's like, wow. And I feel like we as nurses sometimes don't create like that good outlet for ourselves. You know. And you know, like if you look at like the um, the world that we don't see with like energy and all the stuff that's happening, like you have like this negative emotion and something happens and you know you have the aura you have in the body and like you're consumed by this energy and we don't have an outlet so that that negative energy is circulating in your body and where does it usually go i feel like usually stress like it develops in my neck and shoulders and that's like that outlet that's not being put out you know yeah it could be your shoulders your neck you get headaches migraines can be a result of, of high stress and dealing with death a lot now think about it, possibly gut bacteria. Yeah. Imagine how that's affecting your gut. You know, you're, you have that sinking feeling. You, say you had a cold, cold yesterday, mm -hmm. and you're back for the next night. You're gonna walk into work, and your stomach's gonna sink a little bit. Yeah. Because you're like, shit, my patient cold yesterday. I wonder what I'm gonna get today. You're kind of uneasy for the next maybe few weeks or or next couple of days. Yeah. Especially because, if it's your first death. Yeah. Because you're not sure what you're gonna walk into, especially if you're occurring, if they're occurring a lot. And it's happening on your shift. Just like, man, I've been seeing colds for like five times this month. I'm not sure what I'm gonna walk into. Is my patient next? And you're always on your toes, you're always uneasy, you know, and it, it messes with your gut too. I feel like when I first started though, I I took it so personal that it did affect me, man. I had, I had issues with it. Like it was just like, dude, I don't wanna go to work. I don't wanna deal with this. And I took things personally, man. I took things home and I thought about it. I'm just like, shit, man, it sucks. And sometimes you contemplate, like, damn, this is the job. This is the career that I got into. Like, this is nursing where, like, it's just sometimes people that are ungrateful. Sometimes there are people that are grateful and yet they don't have a chance at life. Like, the person that's being, you know, a piece of ass to you is freaking going there asking for pain meds when he's trying to, you know, take advantage of the hospital. And then you have somebody that's this amazing person that's so thankful, tells you thankful all the time or tells you thank you all the time. Like the sweetest person, his wife or husband is amazing and yet he doesn't have a chance at life and he's passing away when you try to do everything. It sucks, man. It does suck. It's crazy. If you're not a medical professional and you're just out there in society doing like your normal nine, nine to five or any kind of profession that's not medical, the only time you're gonna experience death is with a family member or, or a friend. Yeah. You're not gonna really see it on the streets because 
you know, those things don't really happen on the streets by you. As often, yeah. And at an early age, what, what did we start nursing school? What age did we start? 18. College? 18, exactly. So by the time you graduate, you know, you're in your young 20s. And we deal with death at such a young age. It's, it's crazy to think about. No one's going to see more death than nurses, doctors, and medical professionals. Yeah. Before nursing school or before becoming a nurse, the only time we've experienced death is with a family member or a friend. Now we were in a career where death is almost something that happens ordinary. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like part of work, man, where you're talking about she looks like bad. You're putting in accounts for palliative care, which is for people that don't know. You're just kind of end of life. All these medical interventions aren't leading to anything. Your quality of life isn't, isn't going to approve. And you're telling, hey, let's have someone come in, talk to the family and, and see if they want their family member to just be comfortable, rest comfortably and don't do any aggressive um, medical treatments. And it sucks when you're evaluating that, too. You're just like this. This family is so hopeful. This family is, oh, my God, he's doing great. And you kind of have like this feeling in your head and you're just like he's you don't want to give false hope you're like yeah i don't think it's going well man it sucks and damn dude it happens so often man or that patient that's been in the hospital for let's say like 60 days and he gets that trach and he ends up leaving decannulated Mm -hmm. you know he ends up walking out of hospital rarely happens but does happen and imagine him seeing him back for a second time yeah and second time he's there for another 40 days but guess what he walks out again and he's there a third time. And the family is so hopeful that he'll, he'll get out of this state. But it's been now 80 days. He's been in hospital for 80 days. Yeah. So it's his third time here. You know, he walked out of there twice. Imagine how hopeful and how strong that family is in thinking that he's going to get out that third time. Right. And I, and I love that sometimes, to yeah. see that, that faith. And well, you know, like, we have this patient on my old unit. We mm-hmm. have this patient that's back again. And we know he's probably not going to walk out this time. Yeah. But that's what we said the other two times. But this time, I think it's, it's definitely a lot, a lot yeah. rougher. Like, the, there's this phrase I always like to tell people, and it's this great book by Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. And he talks about, he's a Holocaust survivor, and he always talks about his survival, you know, through the concentration camps. And one thing that he noticed is that people didn't, you know, pass away from lack of food, lack of water. They, they, they passed away, they died because of the lack of hope. That purpose to live, life itself just got drained out of them. And that's crazy to do, man, when you're just suffering like that. But it's it's an important lesson to learn with anything, man. Just like the patients that are fighting cancer or something, like you know mentally when they let themselves go, they lose that hope, They it just comes down with them, man. Like you see a patient that's, for example, there was a guy that had like throat cancer and he has a trach now. And you, and you look at him and you can tell that he's pale, he's withdrawn, he's unhappy. He's depressed and they're giving him pills to be depressed. But it's like, man, this person let go of that want and that hope to live. And your your mind is so powerful that it listens. Your body is almost like an own organism, right? And it's listening to whatever you're feeding it. Your subconscious is so powerful. If you're feeding yourself this lack of hope to live, your body is going to listen to you, man. And you can, you can spot that person that's very withdrawn and just not wanting to live anymore, man. Yeah, you can literally kill yourself with your mind. If you think negative thoughts, you can have negative outcomes. If you think sad thoughts, you're probably gonna have depression. Yeah. But what I'm really curious, I wanna wouldn't mind talking to like a purely oncology nurse. Okay. To see how they 
experienced death as well in their opinion on it or hospice man or, yes. end of life care like that so with the oncology nurses i'm kind of curious if anybody's an oncology nurse or hospice nurse that'd be cool if you could talk to us you but, guys should send us a message yeah. with the oncology nurses how they see a patient with very high spirits super happy you know chemo's doing good and see them deteriorate over time yeah and also the patients that deteriorate over time but then they hit a spark and they get back up and they're happy again yeah and they walk out there so i'm really kind of kind of interested on how they see that and yeah. how they view it from their own own eyes and their own perspective yeah and same with like hospice nurses and, and palliative nurses like they deal like their whole career with dying you know they're nurses for the the death and dying so i'm curious how they think about death as well yeah you know and do they get happiness from making this patient comfortable and having them transition to the after afterlife is that what i'm not sure I'm, I, I'm trying to. I, what I'm trying to say is, is do they get their joy from having the ability to have this patient pass peacefully yeah. because they're helping them? I'm kind of curious on what drives them. Like sometimes the way I think about things is, I've learned not to take things personally. That's number one. And what I do is, I know that personally, my personality, I know myself very well. I'm very fit for the job, right? When I talk to patients, they the family's always helpful. I mean, not helpful. they're very grateful for me all the time. Like, Matt, thank you. You're, you're such an awesome nurse, whatever. And I take that in and whatever happens with that person, I gave them the best experience they could have had in the hospital. And I made an impact in their life. Maybe they remember me, maybe they not. Because sometimes you have that nurse when I was hospitalized in like eighth grade. I remember that nurse that was so helpful to like my family still, you know. So I, that's what I give them. I give them everything I can, like my energy and focus. And whatever happens, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're not going to have those families where they are, let's say, they're not very nice. Yeah. They're not very, you know, genuine. Or you could say they're genuine, but they're going through a lot. So you always want to think about the family, too. Because sometimes the family does overreact, and they don't always agree with what you're doing, and they, they nitpick things you do, and they just don't like anything that, that you do for them. Yeah. But you got to realize that, like I said before, their family member is dying. Yeah. So you got to kill them with kindness. You know, they could be the biggest dicks in the world, but that's okay. Let them let them be dicks. That sounded cheesy as hell, but yeah, kill them with kindness, man. Yeah. Oh yeah, wow. No pun intended. No pun but, intended. But yeah, they could be the biggest dicks in the world, but they are going through a lot. Yeah. And the best feeling you get is, or one of the best feelings you get is when a family are a bunch of assholes, and then at the end of the day, they just, they say thank you, Peter. Yeah. Because they realized what you did. That they you realize what you did, and they also realize what they did themselves. Mm-hmm. And then the next upcoming nurse gets a little bit more respect. Yep. You know? So that, always got to be on that's top awesome. of yourself. And that's the problem because we get pushed around, man. Like stress is only from not from death and dying. We get to deal with these family dynamics, man. You have sometimes you have some effed up family dynamics where the family's fighting. Like one time I had a person that was freaking on life support and their family. Like we have to call the cops in because you got two daughters fighting about shit. Right. Like what kind of what's going on, man? Your mom is on life support and you guys cannot figure each other out. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's messed up. Um, one cool statistic here is according to the American um, Nurse Association, 8% of nurses either use alcohol or drugs to cope. And I'm sure that number is a lot higher because a lot of people don't like admitting the truth. Yeah. And it's, you could, if you think about it, it's really easy to fall in that trap. Mm-hmm. Because when you're down, when you're sad, the easiest thing for you to get a hold of is some kind of a drug or alcohol. Yeah. Because that provides a quick dopamine rush. Like a molecule on our couple of nurses' shirts right here. Just don't mean right, oh, right there. Yeah, yep. that's the same mistake. But yeah, that's the easiest thing to reach for because it's it's so quick acting. 
but it's also short term. Yep. You could always keep using it over and over and over again. It's so accessibly available. You go to a store, you grab alcohol. You go to a jewel, you go to a corner store right by us, you get alcohol. Drugs, you're pushing drugs your whole career. Yeah. You know. And sometimes you wonder, how does that feel, huh? Yeah. And when you really think about it, it's super easy to get away with drugs in the hospital. You can, yeah. It's, 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 it's one of the easiest things to do in a row. No matter how much checks they do, no matter how many times you got to scan your finger or scan a patient, there's always going to be loopholes. People are always going to take drugs. There's loopholes. Yeah. And it's so much easier to get that little dopamine rush than I actually talk to somebody. Yeah. And then what happens? You build tolerance. You need more of the dilated. You need more of the alcohol. Yeah. And you're just putting band-aids and band-aids and band-aids, but you're still bleeding and bleeding and bleeding, or at some point you're not going to stop the bleeding. Yeah, I think that's pharmaceutical company. That's healthcare in a nutshell is putting band-aids on things, yeah. and it's not solving issues as a whole. It just, you know, there's some, you know, uh, medical interventions that are necessary and life-saving, yeah. But it's kind of funny when you talk about coping. Um, I'll be totally honest. When I was in nursing school, man, the way we used to sometimes cope, because it sucked, man. It's just two years of straight freaking hard work, just especially, you know, um, I don't know how some nurses do it or nursing school. Sometimes they tell you just, you know, don't work, don't do that. But me and PD both freaking worked um, part-time and went to school full-time. So, like, I used to, you know, go to clinical at, like, 7 a.m., do that for 12 hours, do that for eight hours, no get out, yeah. commute home, eat, work at your freaking UPS from like six to 11 or something, just straight hustle, man. And to be honest, man, when I came home every day, most of the times, there's this awesome uh, student nurse that gave me this tip. Have a nice cold beer, take a nice warm shower, sip on the beer while you're taking a shower, and it mellows you out so much, you just kind of sleep like a baby. Right. Yeah, yeah, I did the same thing. I had like a strict thing of, Get done with clinicals, you get done with school, get out of work, go into the gym, cold shower, and then a beer at the end of the day. And that was my routine for like two years of nursing school. And I mean, it worked. Was it the best one? No, but I also knew my limits and I knew how much alcohol to consume. Yeah. You could buy alcohol. It's, alcohol's not the worst thing in the, world, in the world for you. It just depends how you consume it. Yeah. Moderation. Same Even with though sugar. it's pretty bad. But. Yeah. Same with sugar. You, you, you have a half a pie or a quarter of a pie. I'm saying that because we had a quarter of a pie each yesterday. Actually, we had... <laughs> A quarter of two pies. We ate, we had half a pie yesterday. Yeah, it was Yo. delicious. The only thing we didn't do is put peanut butter on. Peanut butter on. <laughs> I had this giant face for like two years straight where I would put peanut butter on everything. I swear to God, because I was doing intermittent fasting and I was doing low carb and my only access to sugar and sweet was peanut butter and it was all natural peanut butter. So I swear to God, strawberries with peanut butter, blueberries with peanut butter, banana with peanut butter, everything with peanut butter. I Creek swear. yogurt. Exactly. If I could have put peanut butter in carbless noodles, I wouldn't have peanut butter. That's actually not a bad idea. Peter yesterday put um, peanut butter in coffee to try it out. Yeah. I wasn't a fan of it. Not a fan either. Don't put peanut butter in coffee. But yeah. I like peanut butter, but yeah. <laughs> Secrets right, so out. Where are we here? One thing though, I understand like as a nurse, you know, we cry over our patients and it is what it is and we experience death, dying and failure, but we have to learn, you know, how to move on. Just like I said, one thing we have to not take it personally and then I feel like when you like positive um, outlets for ourselves, yeah. it's maybe you could either talking to a coworker about it to make peace with it and you'll feel better when you go home, you know, journaling down some things if you do that, you know, take some, take yourself out of the stimulus. Like sometimes when shit went down, you just gotta, you just need a 10 minute break, you know, cigarette break it is or whatever you do, just take that break. And even like outside of work, like don't dwell on it. Don't think about things like you need that disconnect from the hospital life because it is so mentally and, you know, physically and emotionally ta uh, taxing and ha develop positive um, coping mechanisms. We personally, for me, 
I love sometimes going to the gym after work and like that anger, that stress. It's Fourth of July, guys, so things are going off. Sometimes, um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought here. Sometimes coping, like go to the, going to the gym and that negative energy that's kind of like just circulating in your body, just it gets all released. You know, or anger, anger. That's why massages are good too. I noticed like all that stress that was built up for like weeks or months in your like shoulders or something, it gets like released if you think about it in like a like a different dimensional way not like mm-hmm. physical but like in like the way energy works energetically energetic i don't know what kind like of dimension that would be but but if i massage i got a massage a couple weeks ago i i came out in more pain than i walked into yeah i had a guy named mario man i don't want to sound weak he's like i'm gonna ease up on it i said no <laughs> thanks for regret of my life that guy was pushed out my muscles ridiculous such a strong gentleman I think I might need a lighter touch. I might need a female to massage me. You sound like a soy boy. <laughs> I'm, I might need some smaller, gentler hands with some more, yeah. um, more, um, what is it, like the Korean moisturizer. Because, yeah. man, that guy was pushing, man. So, yeah, he, it's not even lactic acid that he got out there. He literally probably just blew, bruised your muscles. Yeah, man. I swear to God. I, my, I'm sure my muscles grew. Mm-hmm. I, they, get, they got a bigger beating than I would in the, in the jail, you know. I've never been in jail, but I'm sure people get beat up at jail. I feel like I came out of jail. Did Lower it, back hurt, everything, man. Did Mario offer happy endings? Mario, no, he didn't whisper anything. <laughs> <laughs> how does he How does he usually go down? Do they tap you on the knee and see if your towel could go down lower or what? No idea. Maybe they just bust the towel out. Yeah, Maybe just I don't know. Huh? I don't know. And you recommend it? Never mind. Yeah. I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, no. Come on. Maybe, like, maybe there's like two claps. <laughs> and then you know the deal. And then you could either say no or yes. Man, if I got that done by... Uh, uh, never mind. We'll, we'll, go, we'll go back to that. I don't want to say anymore. I don't want to scare anybody off. Okay. So, so back to this coping. If you're a more of an emotional nurse, it's completely okay to go to the bathroom and cry. You know, get your emotions out because some people have like these real strong emotions and the only outlet is literally crying or yelling. Yeah. And I know a lot of times we don't want to talk to our coworkers because we don't want to seem weak or are not capable of taking certain patients. So go talk to your friends about it. They might not know about the situation as much as you, but just you summarizing it and just telling somebody else about your day and how it went you're gonna feel so much better because that's an outlet yeah you're letting go of it by speaking it out verbally do you think it's easier to talk to somebody about this when they're a nurse or they're in healthcare or do you think it's still okay to talk to somebody that's not healthcare about it i think for me it's probably easier to talk about it outside of work it doesn't really matter. If Not it's, outside of work, but like, does the person need healthcare experience for you to be that, for them to be your emotional outlet? Uh, no, it, they don't. I just don't use my coworkers as emotional outlets. Okay. That's, that's all. I don't really talk to my coworkers about how I feel, which, which I mean, it's okay to talk about it. It's Typical really okay. man stuff. They don't yeah. want to uh, show their weakness. Yeah, I just don't want to talk about it because it's like, let me just handle my stuff and I'll, I'll go home and I guess I'll put my burden on somebody else, you could, you could say, but, but yeah, I prefer. Personally, don't talk about it to coworkers. I just go home and talk about it. Or I meditate on it. Usually, I just, if I'm really strung up or I'm feeling real emotion about this patient, I just, just go home and just close my eyes and just kind of mentally think through it and just think about ways I dealt with things in the past. I'm try, I don't really try to forget them. I try to maybe, I don't know if deflect the correct word, but I try to look at more of what I did. Patient, in a good know? way and yeah. that and that's good because people that would just pretend that everything is okay and just mm-hmm. be positive about it that's like that bs positivity that like that like is very very uh popular like on social media they think like if there's something going on 
they think that positivity is the answer to everything. You definitely should have that attitude and mindset. But let's just face it, there's things that we just have to um, take care of in a different manner and like take, uh, take the problem head on. Don't pretend it's okay. You got to understand why it is okay and why yeah. it's okay for you. And that's something you got to kind of do yourself. Unless your friend has a good way of coping that they could share for you or they could talk, yeah. talk through things. But another good way to deal with you know, death or dying or stressful situations at work is taking mental health days. It's completely okay to call off. Like a, take a staycation, right? Yeah. If your job allows you to take, let's say, do 10 call-offs a year, take those 10 call-offs. Mm-hmm. Like I'm telling you, do, do those call-offs because we need mental health days and there's nothing better than coming back refreshed. You have less stress. And it just makes work so much better. Yeah. Because then burnout kicks in. It's okay to take like, a, let's see, like say you have 10. Take one a month. You got 10 of them. Why don't you use them up? I agree. Mm-hmm. I think this kind of summarizes the episode here. Yeah. So, guys, we talked about the GI track, how there's definitely something brewing in there in all of us that we should take care of because it's affecting our body in a very, very bad way. It's, it's something, leading to chronic diseases. It's a habitat that we got to explore more and learn more about just like the Amazon rainforest. We're not sure what's going on over there. Same way your GI tract is the Amazon rainforest of you. Yeah. So there's, there's things in the Amazon rainforest, AKA the GI tract that we haven't discovered yet. There's people living in there, different microbes, bacteria that are affecting us in a huge way. Not only are neurologically, which is leading to a lot of autoimmune disorders and things like fibromyalgia, Parkinson's disease. So, it's um, 2019 in July 4th. This is the statement that I'm saying that gut bacteria is correlated with fibromyalgia and Parkinson's disease. I'm using this as reference for in the future. If this study comes out, it's correct. Basically, ha, I told you guys so. You guys didn't listen. So this is the benefit of listening to the podcast that you guys get this exclusive info. Yep. And we also talked about how to deal with death and dying. Two best ways to cope, find a healthy outlet. Talk to somebody, cry. Do what you got to do. Don't do drugs. Drugs, remember, are short-term and they're quick-acting. You don't want to be dependent on those. You want to be dependent on somebody that you could talk to. It's okay doing it once in a while, but don't make it a habit. Yeah. Take mental health days. Use up all 10 of those bad boys. They're there. Use them. They're in your contract. They're in your policy. You can do 10 of them. Yep. 12, whatever. Do them. I think that's amazing advice. Check us out on YouTube. Subscribe. Share with your friends. We are growing and we want to spread in a natural organic way like the rainforest like the rainforest love you guys take care keep it smooth oakland check out the facebook group